Welcome to the AFP Report. This is your host, John Friend. Today is Friday, July 7th, 2023. The AFP Report is a podcast series where I will be interviewing reporters and contributors to American Free Press, America's Last Real Newspaper, as well as other special guests. Please consider subscribing to the newspaper if you are not already. Subscription details can be found at AmericanFreePress.net. And today I'm joined once again by Phil Giraldi, a regular columnist for American Free Press and one of America's leading foreign policy experts. All right, Phil Giraldi, welcome back to the program, sir. How are you this morning? Fine. How about yourself? Not too bad. Not too bad. Doing just fine. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me. As always, you are a regular columnist for American Free Press, America's last real newspaper, and you are also a featured writer at the UNS Review, which is one of the best alternative commentary and analysis websites on the internet. And the website for the UNS Review is uns.com. And you are one of America's leading foreign policy experts and geopolitical analysts. And we've got some major developments in Russia to discuss today, to say the least. Um, let me first off uh, start off by saying um, if you're not subscribing to American Free Press, you really should be. Our website is AmericanFreePress.net, and you can find subscription details and options right at the website. AFP really is America's last real newspaper. It is a populist, independent print publication that is not afraid to address the most controversial and important issues facing the country and facing the world. So please do consider subscribing to the newspaper if you are not already to help support our efforts. Now, Phil, I want to discuss the alleged coup attempt in Russia led by Yevgeny Prigozhin, the leader and public spokesman for the Wagner Group, which is this private military company funded by the Kremlin, funded by the Russian Ministry of Defense that has operated around the world, that's operated in Syria, in parts of Africa, and of course it has played a key role in the quote-unquote special military operation in Ukraine. There has been a public feud, to put it very, very lightly, <laughs> developing between Prigozhin and commanders of the Wagner Group, which, as I said, has played a leading role in the special military operation in Ukraine, and the Russian military leadership centered in the Ministry of Defense in Moscow. Prigozhin has been very critical of the MOD and the military bureaucracy, essentially arguing that they are sabotaging the war effort. They are failing to supply the Wagner group with ammunition and other critical supplies, and they even allege that they have targeted Wagner forces in military strikes, including most recently with – apparently that's what led up to this alleged coup is they were um, attacked by, um, I, I believe, heli either helicopters or, or, um, or missile strikes. Now, um, a lot of Russian nationalists and military hardliners have been just as critical – of the Kremlin's prosecution of the so-called special military operation. So a lot of the critiques that Prigozhin has offered of the Ministry of Defense and the Kremlin more broadly do not appear to be entirely off base. So I'm, I'm curious, like just to get started, what do you make of this dispute between Prigozhin and the Ministry of Defense, which is led by a man named Sergei Shoigu, 
who, from what I understand, what I've read about him, um, does not even have a military. This guy does not even have a military background, and um, he appears to be a very corrupt, very unpopular figure running the Ministry of Defense in Russia. So, is this just a conflict between two corrupt oligarchs, or w what is going on here? What's your assessment? Well, uh, I like your use of the word alleged <laughs> about this plot. Uh, there are a lot of holes in the story that uh, that need to be explored more, and hopefully in the next couple of weeks we'll find out more. Uh, but yeah, the, the, this is a conflict between two oligarchs to a certain extent. Uh, and, and bear in mind that Prigozhin also does not have any military background. He's a businessman. Uh, he made a lot of his money in uh, in catering to the uh, Russian government uh, in uh, public publications. Um, he uh, acquired the Wagner Group basically as one of his business interests. So he's not he's not a general. He's not a military man. Uh, the fact is, I think this uh, uh, the complaints that he's raising are legitimate. Uh, I have been unable to confirm that um, the Russians actually. Um, either use missiles or helicopters to attack his soldiers. That's one of his claims. Uh, but certainly a lot of the other stuff uh, does appear to be true. His, um, his central complaint is that the war is being fought way too timidly, that this should have been resolved a long time ago, and it would have required, obviously, a much greater effort and a political decision by Vladimir Putin that this was the way to go. But Putin has been playing it the other way, trying to keep casualties down and to um, and to lower the intensity. Uh, so um, it's all kind of legitimate up to that level. Uh, what bothers me when you go from there is the, the whole issue of whether uh, Prigozhin actually intended to use the Wagner Group to stage something like a coup d'etat or to remove uh, certain people. Uh, the, you named one general, and there are other generals that he, is, he has fingered before as being complicit. Uh, was, what, was this really his intention, or was it to scare someone uh, into changing policy? So it, that remains unclear. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And there are a lot of mysteries surrounding this entire situation and you, you sort of talked about the background of this Prigozhin character um i mean it, from what i understand you know again i'm, I'm certainly no expert uh in, in russian history or russian politics but from what i understand he is like this more or less corrupt oligarch like you know like pretty much everybody running russia and running you know running the west running europe uh you know it seems to be a a problem all around the world is we have these corrupt oligarchs in position of power and influence and you're right he you know it will, if, and also i think it's worth pointing out that he actually served a jail term in russia i'm not sure exactly how long i think it was over five years so this man is a is a convicted criminal he came out and set up this catering business he was catering to the kremlin he was catering to the russian military even like um from what i understand like russian schools and stuff so he, he built up this business empire and eventually took over this Wagner group or has become the public spokesperson of it. I think originally the Wagner group goes back to 2014 and it was founded by Russian nationalists, basically, from what I understand. Um, so it's a, a really interesting situation. That mo most of the budget, if not all of it, 
for the Wagner Group comes directly from the Russian government, from the Ministry of Defense. So it's a, a really sort of interesting situation. Um, and in the, the the alleged coup, and I and whenever I use the word coup when I'm writing, I always put it in quotes because I'm not certain this was an alleged coup or, or really how to even characterize it. It's a very bizarre situation. This unfolded on Saturday, June 24th, so almost two weeks ago. And uh, allegedly, Prigozhin and, and other Wagner forces marched on Rostov-on-Don, which is where the Russian army's southern command is located. And this southern command was primarily responsible for, you know, prosecuting the special military operation in Ukraine. It's it's not far from from Ukrainian territory. And apparently they, they took over some key buildings in the city, which housed, you know, Russian military personnel directing the war. They had some negotiations um, and they had some other forces march on Moscow. And this is when the president of Belarus, Alexander Lukashenko, apparently stepped in and negotiated directly with Prigozhin and elements in the Kremlin. And they came up with a deal that basically sent Prigozhin and Wagner to Belarus. Um, all the charges against Prigozhin and other Wagner fighters were dropped. And many of them were offered contracts to officially like integrate into the Russian military structure. So um, help us understand this. I mean, I saw video footage. Uh, There's a guy named Patrick Lancaster who is an American guy that lives over in Ukraine. And he's like this independent journalist. He goes out and films, you know, right on the front lines in in, in many cases. And he's been covering Russia and sort of like Central Asia, you know, the the conflicts that have erupted there over the years for for a very long time. And he does some really interesting work. And he was actually in Rostov-on-Don right when Wagner was getting there and sort of this was all kind of unfolding. And you watch his video and everybody in the town is like praising Wagner and like is totally in support of this group rolling through the town. And then they, you know, they eventually they eventually evacuated and left the city um, and they didn't make it to Moscow. So kind of walk us through this. What What is your understanding of what actually took place? I mean, the, the latest reports that I've seen is that Prigozhin is actually back in Russia. He's not even in Belarus. He's actually in St. Petersburg. And he apparently even recently walked right into an FSB building, which is like Russia's essentially the FBI, from what I understand, like the federal, the the Russian Federal um, Security Service. Uh, He walked right into an FSB building in the city and took back his pistol and allegedly some money and other arms that were confiscated in a raid by Russian law enforcement when this alleged coup was going down. So it's help us make some sense of this, Phil. I'm I'm confused. (laughs) Well, that's the part that uh, has me, if not confused, maybe bemused would be a better word. Um, There's something fishy about all this. Here you have an armed insurrection against the central government, and this guy gets off the hook with uh, some kind of uh, deal where he was supposed to go into exile, and uh, he stays there for about, uh, what, uh, eight or nine days, and uh, then suddenly he's back uh, where his principal mansion is in St. Petersburg, which is where he's from, incidentally. And uh, he goes by the uh, the local intelligence law enforcement office and picks up uh, 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 one account I saw, something like uh, $100 million worth of gold and cash, boxes and boxes of, uh, of $100 bills. Um, he picks up a bunch of... Uh, um, 
duplicate false passports. Uh, He picks up disguises. He picks up all the stuff that was found at his house when they searched it after the deal was was made for him to go to Belarus. So this is very (laughs) smelly, shall we say. And then, of course, there's the other side of what has been going on around this story, which is the intelligence services side. Um, uh, the United States um, um, uh, intelligence agencies, I don't know whether it was CIA or uh, Office of uh, National Intelligence, briefed Congress days before this event took place to tell them about it. And we still don't know what they told them. Um, apparently, the Russians, and including at least one of the generals that was under suspicion, knew about this in advance. And we also know that um, uh, Prigozhin, uh, because of the activity of Wagner in Africa, uh, has made trips to that area where he very well could have been targeted by Western intelligence. Uh, so somebody knew about all of this, and uh, uh, I rather suspect that um, it's it may be even more complicated than that. One one thing I'm hearing from my uh, uh, remaining CIA contacts is that they've come to the conclusion that this was a deception operation, which means maybe, maybe that Prigozhin agreed to do something with Western intelligence, but then turned around and told Putin and his advisors about it, and they concocted this scheme to to make this kind of painless action happen uh, in some way to depri- depri- uh, to to uh, make Western intelligence and the Western governments look stupid after they weighed in on it. Interesting. Yeah, boy, it's it's really tough to know exactly what was going on with this entire situation. I'm looking at the the the, the TASS news agency, which is like a official. I, I think it's actually funded by the Russian government. On the official like news agency of Russia, and this is just from this morning headline here: Kremlin has nothing to add on question of Wagner chief's whereabouts. And they're quoting uh, Dmitry Peskov, who's like the spokesman for the Kremlin, saying that um, they have no information on Prigozhin's location or his whereabouts. They have nothing to say. <laughs> so it's it's a very a very weird situation. I mean, when Putin came on TV, and I don't know if he directly accused Prigozhin himself or even Wagner directly. I don't know if he actually specifically named them as being traitors, but he was basically alluding to that. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very, very, very weird situation how you could on the one hand basically insinuate or allude to, or, or, or you know, even outright imply that these men are traitors. And yet then, you know, 10 minutes later, you're offering them amnesty and allowing them, um, you know, to essentially escape into Belarus. And then, you know, if we were, if, if these reports are accurate, which they appear to be, the Kremlin's basically confirming this, that Prigozhin is back in Russia. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And uh, uh, Lukashenko has, has confirmed that. He said that he's no longer in Belarus. Uh, he was in, uh, as I suggested before, St. Petersburg. And then Lukashenko made an interesting comment. He said, for all I know, he could be back in Moscow. Right. And, uh, so that was that was kind of uh, entertaining, shall we say. But obviously something is going on behind the scenes here. Uh, you, if this guy really staged a, a an armed um, intervention or whatever you want to call it coup directed against the, the Russian government why why did they cut a deal with him and why is he running loose 
there, there has to be another story that we don't really know about yet. Um, I, and as going back to what you were saying about what Putin said, Putin did call them traitors uh, at the point when they were occupying Rostov. This was his first public comment uh, on the evening when all of this was happening. And uh, but then he walked that back. OK, if we said that these yeah. were heroes, they were, these were loyal uh, Russian soldiers. And indeed, the, the soldiers in the Wagner uh, group probably didn't know anything about this, why they were marching or what they were doing. They were following orders. And uh, so this uh, this this is a mysterious thing. And then Putin, Putin, interestingly, made a speech the next day in which he really, uh, to my mind, directly implicated Western governments and Western intelligence services in having cranked this thing up. Wow, really? Okay. Yeah, well, and, and you've kind of already alluded to that, but I am curious what, what you think um, of the potential role that the CIA, for example, or, or NATO or other Western intelligence agencies played in all of this. Well, it depends on what the incentives they might have. Uh, let's let's presume that if they wanted to get in touch with this guy, they would have figured out a way to do it. And um, whether it was in Africa or whether it was uh, in Ukraine itself, wherever he was, they probably knew where he was and, and, and figured out a way to access him. So in, in this kind of case, they would probably be thinking in terms of what kind of incentives can we offer this, this individual to do just that, to destabilize uh, the Russian government uh, of Putin uh, by staging uh, what would appear to be a military uprising. And as you mentioned in the beginning, there, there is indeed a lot of popular support uh, for or rather popular criticism of the way the war is being waged. So this was not exactly a, uh, a gesture that was toothless. Uh, right. Yeah. 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 So, you know, th th there are so many things that go together in this pot and, and we're still, I think, seeing what's coming out of it. And to me, the most astonishing part is that uh, Prigozhin is, is now running loose in Russia, and nobody knows where, or no one is claiming to know where he is. Right. Well, and, and this kind of gets to a broader question. Um, how do you think this uh, th that this alleged quote-unquote coup impacts the Putin regime and its credibility? I mean, that's kind of like a big talking point that I've heard, you know, from mainstream analysts. Um, and I just have a hard time listening to these talking heads proclaim that Putin is losing credibility and facing this huge internal crisis when really it was more or less a big nothing burger. I mean, there were reports that, you know, some, some helicopters got shot down and there may have been a few deaths. I don't even know if that's been really confirmed, but this, this whole coup situation um, really appears to be more of like a PR type thing more than anything else. So I have a hard time listening to these people get up there and say that Putin is facing this huge crisis um, when France is literally on fire facing a genuine insurrection from all these immigrants that they've brought into their country, America is more divided and dysfunctional than ever. I mean, it seems like the credibility of our regimes are, you know, much more suspect than what's going on in Russia. But that that could just be my opinion. I don't know. What do you think? No, I, I think uh, you're, you've, you've nailed the main point. Maybe this was what the Russians, what the government Russian government, if they were colluding with Prigozhin on this whole, you know, theatrical event, if we want to look at it that way, uh, maybe this is the point that they were trying to make. And and uh, so we'll see. I mean, this will this will probably surface in the next couple of weeks while the story is still hot. 
and and we have to take it where it goes. But the fact is that that uh, uh, the United States and NATO effort to support this uh, uh, counter attack being staged by Ukraine has been nothing but a failure. And uh, and anyone that is thinking Russia is going to militarily uh, lose this war, I think, is just blowing smoke. Uh, Russia has a very large and very modern arms uh, industry, which uh, <laughs> most Western countries no longer have. And uh, Russia and, and Putin is very popular in spite of concerns about the war. He is very popular. So I, I think that they're, they're kind of hoping for something to happen. There was a, 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 a comments by uh, Tony Blinken, our alleged Secretary of State, uh, shortly after this started, and he was saying, you know, Russia is falling apart. Russia is losing the war. Russia is doing this. Uh, Vladimir Putin is hated all over the world. Uh, all of this stuff is nonsense. Yeah, well, see, that to me is really the goal of the deep state controlling Washington, D.C., these neocons controlling the federal government, um, not only in D.C., but also in Brussels and NATO. I mean, these people, their, their main priority is dragging out this conflict, killing as many Russians and, and Ukrainians, for that matter, and other you know foreign fighters that are going to fight. It seems like most of these people coming from overseas are going to fight for the Ukrainians for some bizarre reason. Um, but, you know, just basically killing as many people as po as many Europeans, I should add, as possible in this conflict, weakening Russia, creating turmoil and chaos. And ultimately, they want a regime change and a total dismemberment of the Russian Federation. And this seems to be something that Putin himself and the Russian political leadership understand full well. So I guess one question I had, I actually have a couple questions. One is relating to your assessment of how this special military operation has been prosecuted. But secondly, uh, and, and maybe we can start with this, why um, – so it seems like Putin does recognize this, right, based on his speeches and, and, and his critiques of the West and you know NATO and, and just their overall policy. So if he, if he seemingly understands all of this and, and, and recognizes that these people in D.C. absolutely hate him, absolutely hate Russia and everything that Russia stands for and want to see this country dismembered, you know, just like they did in the Middle East, just like they did in the Balkans – why does he continue to seemingly be hoodwinked by the West? I mean, he's basic. Putin has basically admitted that the Russians got fooled by the West with the Minsk Accords, that the West and Ukraine never honestly attempted to implement the measures laid out in these accords, and that it was basically this big ploy to build up Ukraine's military and to take back all of the Donbass and Crimea. So, I mean, for, what, like eight years, Russia was played by the West, deceived by the West. And this is something that these military hardliners and, and Russian nationalists have been saying for almost 10 years now. You know, they've been very critical of this. So on the one hand, you know, Putin seems to be continually um, – he seems to be continually deceived by the West. And even more recently, um, it was revealed that right when Russia had – its troops surrounding Kiev and basically in full control, not full control of the country, but, you know, they more or less had Kiev surrounded, had much of the eastern part of the country, you know, under their control. Shortly after this special military operation was launched last year, they entered into negotiations with Kiev and Turkey, 
And they had an agreement finalized, which was apparently initialed by representatives from both Ukraine and Russia. And then Putin, in a gesture of goodwill, I don't know why he would do this. It makes no sense to me. He withdrew Russian troops. And then Ukraine proceeded to tear up the deal at the behest of of NATO and, and their puppet masters in Washington, D.C. So I just don't understand this. Can you address this for me? Why does Russia continue to let the West and Ukraine fool them, seemingly, in such brazen ways? Well, I think the simple answer to that is that Putin is a, is a kind of an international character. You know, he lived a, a large part of his life in, in the West, in Germany in particular, and um, he has long sought to build um, economic bridges like Nord Stream, for example, uh, uh, with Western Europe because he saw the future of Russia as being in that direction. Now, in terms of uh, why the war took place is, well, his, you know, even the, those who will not see eventually do see. And I think uh, he realized that there was no going forward in that direction anymore, uh, particularly since the United States and Britain were pushing strongly against him and and encouraging Ukraine. And uh, he decided on the special or the limited uh, military intervention to, first of all, take back Donbass, which he has basically done, and then to build a land bridge between Donbass and uh, the Crimea, which he has essentially done. I don't think he ever had an intention of trying to conquer uh, Ukraine or take it over, because then he would have been confronted with a, a, a 40 million uh, person country uh, waging guerrilla war against him for the, the next 20 years. I, I think he understood that. So I, I, I think, I, think um, I, I made a joke when I was uh, uh, talking to um, um, Judge Napolitano last week. I said, sometimes you seem, when you judge uh, Putin by what he says and what he does, he could very much come across as the only adult in the room. Right. Well, that's certainly true. I mean, <laughs> listening to Putin and other Russian political figures, um, you know, address the press and just, you know, answer questions. These people are much more serious, much more honorable, much more honest, <laughs> much more straightforward than anything you'd see in D.C. or Brussels or London. Um, it's like a whole other whole other level. Um, so I, I mean, I understand. I, I guess I understand your, 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 the point you're making, but it's almost like how many times is he going to like, I mean, and I don't know, I guess I don't mean to be too critical of him because he is in a very tough situation. Right. But at the same time, it's like these people like totally hate you and everything you stand for and want to see you overthrown. And yet it's like, he still continues to try to play nice with them. I just, I just don't understand it. And, and that seems to be how this special military operation has basically been prosecuted from the beginning. Gestures of goodwill and attempts to limit casualties, which is very noble and, and understandable to a certain extent. But at the end of the day, if it's, you know, how is this going to play out, I guess? I mean, how, how does how does this work when the other side is absolutely determined to see regime change, to see the, to, to see the Russian Federation totally dismembered? And broken into a million pieces and totally rendered impotent on the world stage um, when, when you have the one side operating from that mindset and Russia continues to uh, at least seemingly be conciliatory and, and try to strike a deal and try to come to a reasonable conclusion. It's like one side is totally irrational and not reasonable and Russia continues to be rational and reasonable. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. And of course, this is a uh, this is probably a strategic kind of issue where uh, how he sees he and his, his government see the long term interests of Russia and how they are really engaged in in uh, in in protecting that. That's why this war took place when Russia was suddenly Putin and Russia perceived that vital national security interests were uh, at stake because it looked at that point like uh, uh, NATO would uh, welcome Ukraine and uh, there was continuing uh, artillery fire into Donbass, which killed about 8,500 civilians. Uh, so there were issues that were vital national security issues for him. And when he perceived that, he acted. I, I, I applaud him for being uh, uh, courageous and, and doing what was right for his country. Now, we find that the loonies continue to be in charge in Washington. We have uh, Joe Biden, I guess, today signing off on, on these cluster munitions going into this war. Cluster munitions are, are, for most of the world, considered to be the use of the cluster munitions is considered to be a war crime. So we're committing a war crime. And then there was a report today where U.S. drones in Syria were interfered with by Russian aircraft. Now, Russian aircraft are in Syria at the invitation of the Syrian government. We are in there as a hostile force illegally. And uh, somehow we feel we have the uh, uh, <laughs> the will of God or the, the right to uh, engage in this kind of practice, to engage in military actions in a foreign country, which uh, which we are legally engaged in. This is ridiculous. Right. Absolutely. Well, and, and that's sort of like, I guess, a question we can kind of wrap up with is how like politically, like domestically in America, we got an election coming up next year. The Biden administration um, is just – I mean they, they've just pledged unlimited amounts of money to Ukraine. We continue to do so. Unlimited amounts of money, unlimited amounts of weaponry and equipment. Same thing basically with all of Western Europe and all the NATO countries. I mean at, at some point you've got to think that this is going to turn into be a, a major political liability to continue to support this absurd, counterproductive, ridiculous policy of just endlessly supplying Ukraine with weapons. I mean, how do you see this impacting the upcoming election? I mean, do you think that the Democrats are going to finally recognize that this is just simply unsustainable? I think a lot of them have already recognized that, uh, as well as a fair number of conservatives. Uh, but, you know, bear in mind that there are crazy people on both sides uh, in, in both parties. And uh, it was... Uh, uh, our former uh, vice president, Mike Pence, uh, yesterday, I believe, said that if uh, Ukraine is beaten by the Russians in this war, whatever that means in his mind, uh, we would have to intervene and go to war with Russia. Jeez. Now, where did that come? Yeah, right. Yeah, these people will continue to double down. It seems like this is their uh, this is their pet issue, and it, it, like you said, both sides are going along with this madness. And I think that has something to do with the fact that both sides are more or less controlled by the same neocon Zionist factions that have long dominated American politics. And um, yeah, so I guess we'll see what's going to happen. I mean, this this alleged coup situation. I think more information is going to come out and. I simply don't know what to make of it at the moment. I, 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 I'm tend to starting. I'm starting to think actually now that it was sort of this 
deception operation by the Russians to sort of throw off the Western intelligence agencies and make it appear as if, um, you know, Russia is divided or something like that when, in fact, it, it's nothing of the sort. So I don't know. I guess we'll see. Um, but I don't know. Phil, did you have any other concluding remarks before we wrap up here? No, I think, uh, you know, we could, we always come back, I think, uh, sensibly enough to the same kind of question. Why are we there at all? There was never a vital American interest uh, in interfering in this in this 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 war, if you want to call it that. Uh, the United States was never threatened by it. And now we've escalated this to a, a, a situation where if this goes nuclear, the United States will definitely be threatened by it. And it, it could destroy pretty much of the world as we know it. So, I mean, this is an absurd kind of uh, escalation, development, however you want to phrase it. And it's all done for internal U.S. politics, uh, where, as you point out, uh, that uh, hideous group known as the neocons have uh, control over what takes place and how it takes place. And we have to maybe be thinking in terms of uh, let's not see any more neocons at the top levels of the State Department and national security apparatus. Maybe that's something we should aspire to. Yes, absolutely. Well, Phil, thanks a lot for taking the time. I appreciate it. Keep up the great work. And guys, be sure to check out Phil's article in the latest issue of American Free Press. The website is AmericanFreePress.net. And Phil, take care, man. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. We'll do this again in the future. Okay. Thank you for having me on.